So my last name is Park. Do we have any Parks here? Last name Park? Yes, represent. So, uh, <laughs> so this is a very common last name in Korea. And I still remember the day when I found out about my origin uh, story. So uh, in Korea, uh, during history class, you learn about the different names and the last names, how it came to be. And I still remember, I was told, I was sitting in, 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 in uh, history class, I was told that if you trace all the way up back to your great ancestor, you're going to end up at a place uh, where this man named Hyokkose Park. So that's your great ancestor. That's where it all began. All parks really begin with this one guy. Now, legend says in ancient Korea, there were six clans, uh, that regional clans, and the leaders of those clans came together, and they were trying to decide who should be king over those regions. And as they were having a meeting, there was a white horse that appeared. And that white horse laid an egg. And out of that egg came out Hyokkose Park. Yes, that's the origin story of all the parks, okay? So I, I remember when I heard this story, I was laughing. I was like, no, you can't be serious. You must be joking. At the same time, it's pretty cool, right? It's creative. You have a horse, but at the same time, you have an egg. I don't, I don't know how that works, but uh, so because this was a special birth, people crowned him as a king, and so he ended up ruling as a king, so I come from a royal family. Uh, but... Uh, do I really believe in this story? No. Do I really care if my ancestor hatched out of an egg that was laid by a white horse? No, I don't, I don't really care. Because even if my great ancestor hatched out of an egg that was laid by a white horse, it makes no difference in my life. It's not like I, all of a sudden, when I believe that, I have powers to fly or I have the, the, the ability to run like a horse. No, like, there's nothing like that. So, so it's a cool story, but it has little to no significance when it comes to my personal life. And this is how we feel about the birth story of Jesus a lot of times, right? The virgin birth of Jesus. Very controversial throughout history. People have talked about the virgin birth for years because it just doesn't seem possible that a virgin can give birth. So last time when I talked about circumcision, I heard that a couple of our youth students later on asked about circumcision. If you don't know what a virgin is, uh, then again, ask your small group leader. Uh, but, uh, but, so, so, yeah, but some people laughed at, the, laughed at the fact that, you know, a savior was born through the virgin birth. Uh, others would dismiss this, this idea because they think, okay, this is, this is not scientific at all. Right? We know better in the 21st century. We know how babies are made. We know how, 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 how a baby is conceived. Some people think this is a really cool story to the point that we will talk about it every, every year. But a lot of people just don't think much of it. Because whether it's a cool story or not, at the end of the day, it feels like it has no significance whatsoever in our personal life. It doesn't make a difference. But today I want to show you through this passage of scripture, that the virgin birth is actually instrumental to the Christian faith, and it is foundational to our understanding of Jesus 
Christ. You cannot properly understand who Jesus is without understanding the mystery of the virgin birth. So let's dive into the story. Verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So here we are introduced to a person, Mary. We know that she is living in Nazareth, and that is a small town in the middle of nowhere. It's like one of those towns when you're on a road trip and you're out of gas, you stop, you, 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 you pull over, and, and you just quickly get gas and you look around and say, oh, there's nothing here. And then you, you quickly kind of leave. That, that's, that's Nazareth, right? No one goes there intentionally. You just pass by this small town. When you ask where Nazareth is, if you're not from Galilee, you have no idea where this place is. So you're like, you know, I have no idea. If you're from Galilee, we're told from the Bible that the reputation is, is really bad. In fact, uh, when Jesus, when he showed up and when Nathaniel heard that this could possibly be the Messiah, what he says is, what good can possibly come out from Nazareth? So Nazareth has a bad rap. It's, it's, it, it doesn't... It, doesn't have a good reputation. And so we see that Mary is living as a nobody in the middle of nowhere. The second thing that we see is she is a virgin. Now twice it says in verse 26, Mary is a virgin. It says again in verse 34, Mary is a virgin, meaning that, that she has never had sexual intimacy with a man. And and I think this is so fascinating because the person who's writing this story is Luke. And who's Luke? He's a doctor. He's a phys- physician. He's, he's, he's a historian. We know from the beginning of, of the Gospel of Luke that this was not just a spontaneous thing that he did, but it says he did his research, he collected his data, he carefully reorganized everything to present an orderly account of the life of Jesus. If anyone should have a problem with a virgin giving birth to a child, it should be Luke. But out of all people among the gospel writers, Luke seems to be the one who's so fascinated about the fact that Mary is actually a virgin. And so he goes into detail about the virgin birth. So we see that Mary is a nobody who lives in the middle of nowhere. She's a virgin. And the third thing that we see is she is betrothed to Joseph. So what does that mean? That's a very big word. That's something that we don't see today. It's something that's a little bit more serious than an engagement, but at the same time, it's a little bit less serious than a marriage. So when we get engaged in our culture, you buy a ring, and then you pop the question, will you marry me? And you give a verbal agreement, yes, I want to marry you. And, and you begin to prepare uh, for, your, for your marriage, your wedding ceremony. Well, while that is a verbal agreement, that is not legally binding. Uh, being betrothed, it's, it's, it's legally binding. So you're not married yet, but it's kind of a, a, a legal action that you take. So if you opt out of your betrothal, then you are actually breaking a covenant, and so you become divorced. You're considered as a divorced person. It has legal uh, consequences. Uh, so that's why it's a little bit serious than um, engagement. At the same time, it's not as serious as marriage because 
at this point, they didn't have the wedding ceremony yet, so you don't see really sexual intimacy between uh, the two people. Uh, so while they are legally in agreement to pursue marriage, uh, they have yet to, to come bind and come together and become one flesh. And so here we have a girl, most likely in her teenage years, because that's when most girls would get engaged or uh, pursue uh, betrothal. But you see here you have a normal teenager who's living a normal life, and something extraordinary happens in her life. Look at verse 28. It says, an angel appears, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So notice that the text tells us that Mary is greatly troubled, not by the fact that, okay, there's an angel that appeared before her. She's greatly troubled by the greeting that the angel is giving. So what did Mary say? Uh, what did the angel say to Mary? Well, greetings, O favored one. And later down the line, we're going to see that Mary actually knows her Old Testament. She's really uh, insightful when it comes to her, her, her knowledge of Scripture. Because we know when she prays, she's like quoting Scripture left and right. And she knows the weight of that phrase, favored one. Because in the Old Testament, the people who are called favored one are people like Abraham, people like Noah, the Josephs of the world, Moses, Samuel is called favored one, and then King David is called someone who had the favor of God upon him. So here you have the angel of the Lord bring a personal message to a teenage lady who's living a normal life in the middle of nowhere. And Mary is asking, why in the world would this happen? Right? She is troubled by the fact that not only an angel is appearing before her, but the fact that the angel is actually calling her favored one. But once again, the angel says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which we know from our study of Joshua. This is the New Testament name of the Old Testament name Joshua. Uh, which means God saves. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So the angel doesn't just say to Mary, you're going to have a son as a virgin. The problem is that this son is, is it. This son is the one. This son is going to be the one who saves people. His name is going to be Jesus. This son is actually the son of the most high. He is going to be great. Now, John the Baptist, when, when the angel predicted his birth to Elizabeth, it says this person is going to be great in the eyes of the Lord. No, literally here it says this son is going to be great. And it's not just going to be that this son is going to be the son of the most high, which means that he is God, but we see that that the son is going to come from the line of David and not just live forever, but rule forever. He's going to reign forever. And if that wasn't clear, it says his kingdom, there will be no end. So Mary, she kind of understands the weight of this situation, and she asks a very critical question. Well, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's a very thoughtful question, a very insightful question. And notice that when something does not make sense, especially in your walk of faith, it's okay 
ask questions. Some people say, as a Christian, you should never question anything. Uh, but you see here that Mary, she is literally ha- having like, you know, a life-changing moment where she's receiving news that's going to alter the course of her personal life. And I think it's right that she asks the question, so how is this going to happen, right? And, and the same way, I think the Bible is full of stuff that makes us wonder, so how in the world is this going to happen? How in the world is there going to be a universal flood that covers the whole earth? How in the world is there going to be this, this, this judgment that, that comes down on Sodom and Gomorrah? How in the world, you know, is, is it going to be that a group of people are just going to circle around the walls of Jericho and the, that place is going to come down? You should ask those questions. How is this, this going to happen? So you understand that Christianity, although it is a religion based on faith, it's a religion based on reasonable faith. We believe, but we don't believe without reason. So Mary asks the question before she says, oh, I'm happy that you're giving me this news. She asks the question, so how will this be since I am a virgin? And notice how the angel responds. The angel does not say, oh, you woman of little faith. The angel does not say, Mary, don't worry about it. No, you'll know one day when you go to heaven. No, that, that's not how uh, the angel responds. The angel does not neglect the question of Mary. Actually, the angel gives a very detailed answer to Mary's question. And so we should ne- never neglect the question of, of anyone uh, when someone is genuinely asking about the truthfulness of the Bible, asking about you know, facts that we see um, in, in Scripture. It's, it's okay to ask those questions. In verse 35, it says this, The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the answer that the angel gives to Mary is not an answer of a biology. The angel does not go, to, go into um, uh, metaphysics, but rather says this is a miracle. Two things. Mary, you are going to be overpowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And we see that, we know that that is a big deal because in Genesis 1, we are told when the earth was formless and void, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the earth. And the next thing that we see is when God says, let there be light, there came life. So you see in the very beginning, you have God the Father, you have the Holy Spirit hovering on the face of the, uh, the universe, and then you see the word of God being spoken. And out of nothing, something comes out. So the power of the Holy Spirit, it's also talked about in John 3 when Nathaniel asked the question, how can a person be born again? Jesus says, well, you can be only born, be born again through the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit gives life. John 6, 63, 63 Jesus literally says, it is the Spirit who gives life. So the Spirit has power to give life. In Genesis 2, 7, it literally says, out of the dust of the ground, God breathed in his spirit, his ruach, his breath, and that man became a living being. And so we see that the spirit has power to give life. But number two, Mary is going to be overshadowed by the power and the presence of God. It says how the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So what the angel says is, okay, this is not going to obey the law of physics or biology. This is not going to happen um, through natural laws or follow the natural order. This is going to be a miracle. It's going to be a mystery, but it's going to happen through the supernatural work of God. And when you understand that, 
Now you understand why a virgin birth can be possible. The Bible never claims that this is scientific. The Bible actually says this is a miracle. And when you think about science, by the way, uh, the definition of science is that science is a study of observation. Right? When we were studying the coronavirus, we don't know what it is, right? So you do a lot of tests. And based on the results, you are constantly observing, okay, what does this virus do? What kind of symptoms do we see? And you repeatedly study, and if you see a correlation, if you see repeated things that are caused by this virus, you say, okay, these are the symptoms of coronavirus. Do you see how science works? The reason why you do labs is, is because you have a hypothesis, you, you orchestrate an uh, uh, experiment based on that hypothesis, and when you can repeat uh, when you can produce repeated results, that's when you say, okay, this is a scientific fact. The fact that I drop this book every time it's going to go to the ground, that's a scientific fact because repeatedly we see the law of gravity uh, in place. So science is based on observation, things that are repeated. What is the definition of a miracle? It's a one-time thing. And so do you see how it's actually impossible to explain a miracle with the definition of science. So if someone says, well, I don't believe in the Bible because it doesn't obey the law of science. Well, yeah, that's, that's because you don't understand the nature of the Bible. The Bible never claims that it's scientific. The Bible actually claims that it's a supernatural book that is given by a supernatural God. And when you try to understand a supernatural God with scientific facts, that's when you have a problem. Like you saying that science disproves this, this, this Bible is actually, you're, you're, you're you're claiming that you don't understand the nature of the Bible. And so we see that it is actually possible, if we believe in a supernatural God, it is possible that God would do supernatural things. So that's how the virgin birth takes place. But why does this matter? Why is this so important and significant that it is included in basically every creed, every, you know, every, every church historian talks about this issue? Why does it matter? Well, in Romans 5, Paul makes a statement. He says, well, Adam was the first man. Out of nothing, God created Adam. So through Adam, now you have the entire human race. And that's a problem because not only does life get passed down through Adam, but sin gets passed down through Adam. It's not like sin is in our DNA, but Adam's sinful nature, his nature to rebel against God, that is passed down in history, in humanity. So every person who comes from the line of Adam actually has the sinful nature. So they all sin and fall short of God's glory. But Romans 5 says that there is a second Adam whose name is Jesus. And this Adam is different from the first Adam, although there are similarities because, you know, just like the first Adam was created out of nothing in a supernatural way, you know, the second Adam came to this earth, but at the same time, this Adam did not sin, this Adam walked in righteousness. And everyone who's born of this second Adam ha- takes on the nature of the second Adam in Jesus Christ. And so you see the significance of this event in salvation history. Jesus had to be born of a virgin womb as a real human being because as the Messiah, he had to come from the line of David and fulfill all those prophecies. At the same time, this could not have been a natural birth or a natural conception more, more, more specifically because if that was the case, that would have mean Jesus was sinful rather than sinless. And if you have a sinful person, that sinful person cannot be a savior. Right? That person cannot take the place of sinful people, cannot pay the ultimate price on behalf of sinful people. So here in the virgin birth, we have this incredible truth that Jesus is God and man. He is fully divine 
at the same time, he is fully man. His mother is Jesus at the same time. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he lives and, uh, and obeys his heavenly Father. And that is good news because if Jesus is perfectly man and he's perfectly God, which he claims throughout his ministry, that means he can be the perfect Savior for you and me. Jesus is unique in history. This is why Jesus matters. This is why this is significant. The reason why God had to go so far to use a virgin to give birth to the Savior is because there's no human being that comes out of a mother's womb that can be a Savior. No, no person in the flesh can actually take the role of, of, of a Savior. And so in a supernatural way, God provides a miracle and gives us the Savior. And so that's the significance of the virgin birth. Now, the last question, why does this really matter to us, to us personally? Um, how do we respond to a text like this? It seems like this is very theological, intellectual. But notice that, that Mary has an incredible response to this truth. So it says in verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. That statement simply summarizes all that's going on. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So you see how Mary in the beginning, she is shocked at the, the presence and the message of, of the angel. And then she is confused and so she questions and as she's questioning, she gets clarity and, and she's kind of processing all these things and she comes to a place of not just agreement but submission. And that's how you respond to a message that's so incredible. That's how you respond to a message that does not make sense. It's okay to question, but you question with the right you you question with the right attitude, with the right posture. And as you're questioning, you process. You ask the question, okay, this doesn't make sense with my mind, but is this consistent with God's word? Is this consistent with God's character? You know, Mary, Mary was probably asking that question, and she's thinking of passages of Isaiah 7, 14, where it says of a virgin will give birth. And she's thinking of passages of, of different prophecies where God says, I'm going to give a Savior who will rule um, like King David at the same time, will, will be a suffering servant for the nations. And, and she's putting the puzzle, puzzle pieces together, and she comes to a conclusion. I don't fully understand everything, but I know one thing. God can do the impossible, and he has a heart to restore his people. So I submit to this truth. I'm your servant have your way with me. If you think about Mary, she was a teenage girl, probably 15. And she hears the news that she's going to be pregnant. And she has a lot of explaining to do to people. Number one, she has to go to Joseph, love of her life, and tell Joseph, I have a baby. And Joseph's probably asking the question, oh, Whose, whose baby is that? Because right? clearly it's, it's not me and you. And, and if you look at Matthew 1, it's so, it's so interesting. Uh, when Joseph hears the news that, that Mary is actually pregnant, it says that he was such an honorable man that he didn't seek to divorce uh, Mary in public. He seeked to divorce Mary in private. That, 
It was no question that, that she's, I mean, yeah, he was going for a divorce. That, that was not a question, right? But he was so honorable and jealous that, okay, I'm not going to publicly shame you and make this a big deal. I'm not going to post this on Instagram or anything. Instead, I'm just going to privately let you go because you, you're probably going to have a miserable life moving forward because for the rest of your life, you're going to be a person who has gone through divorce, so most likely you can't marry someone else. You're going to be poor because you're gonna, not going to have any financial support. It's not that people are just going to say stuff about you, but they're going to say stuff about your kid. And ask the question, like, you know, who, who, who's that kid? Who's that bastard, right? That illegitimate child. Like, like, who is that? And so you kind of understand the weight of this situation. Mary, For Mary, it is not an easy thing to say, I am your servant. You think Mary was just a clueless teenager. No, she knew exactly what she was walking into. It was not easy for her to submit to the plan of God. Yet, she comes to a place how? She doesn't understand everything, but she trusts in God's character. She says, God, I know you can do the impossible, and I know that you are loving God, so I don't understand everything, but I fully submit to you. Have your way with me. And if you think about it, that's how we, wish we should respond to the good news that we receive in Jesus Christ. If you think about it, we're not that different from Mary. We're really a nobody that's living in the middle of nowhere. We don't have a whole lot. Maybe you do, but I don't. And, and, and so you're living a normal life. And all of a sudden, the grace of God brings the message of God and, and the gospel invades your life. And God says, not only am I going to save you, I'm going to use you to make disciples of all nations. I'm going to use you to reveal my glory to, to all people. I'm going to use you to display my love so that people understand the nature of who I am. And you're thinking, what? How? I, I live in Fairfax. Chantilly, Centerville. And you might feel good about that, but if you ask anyone outside of Virginia, they're like, where's Fairfax? And then you will say, well, it's in Nova. And then they'll ask the question, where's Nova? Is that, is that a planet or something? Where, 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 where is it? No, I, I actually didn't know Nova until I came to Virginia. <laughs> that's, that's why. And then you say, oh, oh, it's somewhere in Virginia, next to D.C. And that's when they're like, oh, I know where that is. <laughs> and then we're just talking about the United States. If you go out of the world and you say, I'm from Virginia, a lot of people are going to say, well, where, where's that? You think you're pretty well off, and you're something. The truth is, you and I, we are nobody living in the middle of nowhere that has no business doing anything extraordinary. And yet God, he sends his son Jesus in such an incredible way. And it's not that Jesus just lives a perfect life, but he, he dies a perfect death. And he says, if you believe in this message, if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, then you will have new life. Your life is going to be completely transformed and changed through you, through your ordinary life, through your normal life. I'm going to do extraordinary things. Do you believe that? And the natural response is, is no, I don't. But you think about God's plan. You think about how he worked in history. You think about all the promises that were made and kept. You think about his, the nature of his power. You think about the nature of his character. And you come to a conclusion, conclusion. God, I don't understand everything. But one thing I know is I'm your servant. That you are God and I'm not. And so I give you control. Have your way 
with me. So the application point is this. Believe in God's promises with confidence. If you can believe in the virgin birth, which according to statistics, about 85% within the church believe in the virgin birth. If you can believe that a virgin actually gave birth to a child, you can believe in anything. You wonder today, how am I going to have food tomorrow? How, how am I going to make all these payments? You wonder, you know, when am I going to get married? When am I going to have children? You wonder, you know, how in the world am I going to live this life? And not only that, you know, there are people that you know they're heading straight to hell because they don't know Jesus. And you ask a question, I, and I want them to be saved. I want to share the gospel, but I have no idea how they're going to come to the faith. I mean, I'm a nobody from nowhere. My words are not going to matter. They never listen to me. And what God is saying is, it's not about you. If the favor of the Lord is upon you, if, if you are overshadowed by the power of God and the presence of God and the spirit of God, God can take a nobody and do something extraordinary for his glory. And so the question is, are you giving your life to him on a daily basis? Are you allowing him to work through your ordinary life? Have you made an initial commitment to the Lord? This gospel is, is, is scandalous. It is, it is ridiculous. It, 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 it doesn't make sense. At the same time, is it consistent with history? Is it consistent with the nature that we see? Is it consistent with the reality of sin that we see in our lives? Is it consistent with the promises that are made by God? Absolutely. And so when you realize that, you come to a conclusion, although I don't fully understand everything, God, I am your servant. I give you my life. Have your way with me. And you become a worker of the gospel. And God is going to work through your life in incredible ways because that's how he, he's always been working throughout history. God gave birth to his son through a virgin's womb to prove the fact that nothing is impossible with God. Also to make sure that we have a perfect savior who is sinless in every possible way at the same time made the full payment of our sin as a man so worship him today believe in him today respond like mary i am your servant you are my god have your way with me let's pray